Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but labor for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. What sign shewest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Lord, evermore give us this bread. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we knew? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the law of the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world.
How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and the dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. This isn't hard saying. Who can hear it? Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But I said unto you, there are some of you that believe not. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Will ye also go away? Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Have I not chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. My message is an appeal to those who are worried, are restless, are anxious, or afraid. A plea to those who are not at peace. If your life is touched with disappointment or grief, with bitterness, if you struggle constantly with worry or frustration or shame, I speak to you. The Bible records that in ancient times there came from Gilead beyond the Jordan a substance used to heal and soothe. It came perhaps from a tree or a bush and was a major commodity of trade in the ancient world. It was known as the Balm of Gilead. That name became symbolic for a power to soothe and to heal. The lyrics of a song record there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. I recently asked a doctor of family medicine how much of his time was devoted purely to correcting physical disorders. He has a large practice 
And after thoughtfully considering, he answered, not more than 20%. The rest of the time, I seem to be working on problems that very much affect the physical well-being of my patients, but do not originate in the body. These physical disorders, the doctor concluded, are merely symptoms of some other kind of trouble. In recent generations, one after another of the major diseases has yielded itself to correction or cure. Some very major ones remain, but we are now able to do something substantial about most of them. There is another part of us, not so tangible, but quite as real as our physical body. This intangible part of us is described as mind, as emotion, as intellect, as temperament, as many other things. Very seldom is it described as spiritual. But there is a spirit in man. To ignore it is to ignore reality. There are spiritual disorders, too, and spiritual diseases that can cause intense suffering. The body and the spirit of man are bound together Often, very often, when there are disorders, it is difficult to tell which is which. There are basic rules for physical health. They have to do with rest and nourishment, with exercise, and with abstaining from those things that damage the body. Those who violate these rules one day will pay for their foolishness. There are also rules of spiritual health, simple rules that cannot be ignored, for if they are, we will reap sorrow by and by. All of us experience some temporary physical sickness. All of us now again may be spiritually ill as well. Too many of us, however, are chronically spiritually sick. We don't need to stay that way. We can learn to avoid spiritual infections and maintain good spiritual health even though we may have a serious physical ailment, we can be spiritually healthy. If you suffer from worry or fear, from grief or shame or jealousy or disappointment or envy or greed, I have something to tell you. Somewhere near your home, there's a vacant corner lot. Although adjoining lots may be well tended, a vacant corner lot somehow is always full of weeds. There's a footpath across it and a bicycle trail, and ordinarily, it is a collecting place for junk. First, someone threw a few lawn clippings there. They would not hurt anything. Someone added a few sticks or limbs from some adjoining property. Then came a few papers and a plastic bag, and finally, tin cans and some old bottles, and there it was, a junkyard. The neighbors did not intend it to be that, but little contributions from here and there made it so. This corner lot is like, so very much like, the minds of many of us. We leave our mind vacant and empty and open to the trespass of anyone. Whatever is dumped there, we keep. We would not consciously permit anyone to dump junk into our minds, not old bottles and cans, but after long clippings and papers, the other things just don't seem to be that much worse. Our minds can become veritable junk heaps, 
with dirty, cast-off ideas that accumulate there little by little. Years ago, I put up some signs on my mind. They're very clearly printed and simply read, no trespassing, no dumping allowed. On occasion, it's been necessary to show them very plainly to others. I do not want anything coming into my mind that does not have some useful purpose or some value that makes it worth keeping. I have enough trouble keeping the weeds down that sprout there on their own without permitting someone else to clutter my mind with things that do not edify. I've hauled a few of these away in my lifetime. Occasionally, I've tossed these thoughts back over the fence where they came from when it could be done in a friendly manner. I've had to evict some of these thoughts a hundred times and more before they would stay out, and I have never been successful until I have put something edifying in their place. I do not want my mind to be the dumping place for shabby ideas or thoughts or disappointments or bitterness or envy or shame or hatred or worry or grief or jealousy. If you are fretting over such things, it's time to clean the yard. Get rid of all that junk. Get rid of it. Put up a no trespassing sign, a no dumping sign, and take control of yourself. Don't keep anything that will not edify you. The first thing a doctor does with a wound is to clean it out. He gets rid of all of the foreign matter and drains off the infection, no matter how much it hurts. Once you do that spiritually, you will have a different perspective on life. You'll have much less to worry about. It's easy to get all mixed up about worry. Somewhere, there's a message in the protest of the man who said, you can't tell me worry doesn't help. The things I worry about never happen. <laughs> Many years ago, I was taught a lesson by a man I admired very much. He was as saintly a man as I have ever known. He was steady with this and serene with a deep spiritual sense of power that many drew upon. He knew just how to administer to those who were suffering. On a number of occasions, I assisted him when he gave blessings to those who were sick or otherwise afflicted. His life had been a life of service in both the community and in the church. He'd presided over one of the missions of the church. He looked forward to the missionary reunions. When he was older, he was not able to drive at night, and I offered to take him to the reunions. This modest gesture was repaid a thousandfold. On one occasion, when we were alone, and the spirit was right, he gave me a lesson for my life from an experience in his. I thought I'd known him, but the things he told me I never would have supposed. He grew up in a little community. Somehow in his youth he had a desire to make something of himself and struggled to get an education, succeeded. He married a lovely young woman, and presently everything in his life was just right. He was well employed with a bright future, they were deeply in love, and they were expecting their first child. The night the baby was to be born, there were complications. 
the only doctor was somewhere in the countryside tending the sick, and they weren't able to find him. After many hours of labor, the condition of this mother-to-be became desperate. Finally, the doctor arrived. He sensed the emergency and acted quickly, and soon had things in order. The baby was born, and the crisis, it appeared, was over. Some days later, the young mother died from the very infection that the doctor had been treating at the other home that night. My friend's world was shattered. Everything was not right now. Everything was all wrong. He'd lost his wife, his sweetheart. He had no way to take care of a tiny baby and at once tend to his work. As the weeks grow on, his grief festered. That doctor should not be allowed to practice, he would say. He brought that infection to my wife. If he'd been careful, she'd be alive today. He thought of little else, and in his bitterness, he became threatening. Then one night, a knock came at his door. A little youngster said simply, Daddy wants you to come over. He wants to talk to you. Daddy was the stake president. A grieving, heartbroken young man went to see his spiritual leader. This spiritual shepherd had been watching his flock and had something to say to him. The counsel from this wise servant was simply, John, leave it alone. Nothing you do will bring her back. Anything you do will make it worse. John, leave it alone. My friend told me then that this had been his trial, his Gethsemane. How could he leave it alone? Right was right. A terrible wrong had been committed, and somebody must pay for it. He struggled in agony to get hold of himself. It did not happen all at once. But finally, he determined that whatever else the issues were, he should be obedient. Obedience is a powerful spiritual medicine. Obedience comes close to being a cure-all. He determined to follow the counsel of that wise spiritual leader. He would leave it alone. Then he told me, I was an old man before I finally understood. It was not until I was an old man that I could finally see a poor country doctor, overworked, underpaid, run ragged from patient to patient, with little proper medicine, no hospital, few instruments. He struggled to save lives and succeeded for the most part. He had come in a moment of crisis when two lives hung in the balance and had acted without delay. I was an old man, he repeated, before I finally understood. I would have ruined my life and the lives of others, he said. Many times he has, had thanked the Lord on his knees for a wise spiritual leader who counseled simply, John, leave it alone. And that is my counsel to you. If you have festering sores, grudges, bitterness, disappointment, jealousy, envy, get hold of yourself.
You may not be able to control things with others, but you can control things in here, inside of you. I say, therefore, John, leave it alone. Mary, leave it alone. You may need a transfusion of spiritual strength to be able to do this. Well, then ask for it. We call that prayer. Prayer is a powerful spiritual medicine. The instructions for its use are found in the scriptures. One of our sacred hymns carries this message. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray when your soul was full of sorrow, balm of Gilead, did you borrow at the gates of day? Oh, how praying rest the weary. Prayer will change the night today. So when life gets dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. All of us carry excess baggage around from time to time, but the wisest ones among us don't carry it for very long. They get rid of it. Some of it you have to get rid of without really solving the problem. Some things that ought to be put in order are not put in order because you can't control them. Often, however, the things that we carry are petty, even stupid. If you're still upset after all these years because Aunt Clara didn't come to your wedding reception, <laughs> why don't you grow up and forget it? If you brood constantly over some past mistake, settle it and look ahead. If the bishop didn't call you right or didn't release you right, forget it. If you resent someone for something he has done or something he failed to do, let it go. We call that forgiveness. Forgiveness is powerful spiritual medicine. The instruction for its use are found in the scriptures. I repeat, John, leave it alone. Mary, leave it alone. Purge and cleanse and soothe your soul and your heart and your mind. It will then be as though a cloudy, dirty film has been erased from the world around you. And though the problem may remain, the sun will come out the beam will have been lifted from your eyes, and there will come a peace that surpasseth understanding. A great significant message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is exemplified by the title given him, the Prince of Peace. If we follow him, we can have that, individually and collectively. He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If you, my brother or my sister, are troubled, there is at hand, not just in Gilead, a soothing, healing balm. Consider this. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide in you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come unto you. I bear witness of him who is the great comforter, and as one authorized to bear that witness, testify that he lives in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.